This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 49. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast takes topics relevant to today's gun owners and tackles them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion today i'm gonna be joined by one mr wayne dobbs wayne dobbs my favorite texan well one of my favorite texans uh (laughs) sorry handy nothing personal anyway um wayne is a pretty prolific instructor and uh part of the aimpoint leo team and we're going to talk about the four P's of operational shooting. P. But first, word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Excess Sights. ExcessSights.com. Photoluminescent paint and tritium. Made right there in the great state of Texas. Also brought to you by CCW Safe at CCWSafe.com. Enter code off duty 10 at checkout, get you 10% off your membership and let them know that you listen to the off duty on duty podcast. They're a legal service membership for concealed carriers and LEOs, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. EDC belt company at edcbeltco.com manufacturer of the foundation belt, the most comfortable functional concealed carry belt on the market today. Hands down. Uh, I say that as uh, you know, a member of the company, and I'm currently wearing one. Uh, we will be at the Guardian Conference, which, speaking of, this podcast will also be brought to you by the Guardian Nation Conference, coming September 17th, 18, 19. I've only got about four more episodes of plugging that, so get your tickets now. Sign up at Guardian Conference. Link is in the show notes. EDC Belt Co. will be there, and we are going to release... A belt exclusive to the Guardian Conference attendees. So uh, more to follow on that. The Concealed Carry bo- podcast giveaway. Uh, congratulations to Devin, last week's winner, who uh, got a Flight 93 Memorial cap. Next week, they're drawing for... Next week, the giveaway is for Palm Pepper Spray. If you haven't checked out Palm Pepper Spray... Palm pepper spray is the business for your everyday carrier. And uh, I think we're going to have a guest on here in the near future that has some uh, knowledge in the realm of pepper spray uh, and backup guns, etc. So palm pepper spray. Got to sign up weekly. Link is in the show notes. Let's bring in our guest, Wayne Dobbs. All right. First time on the off-duty, on-duty podcast uh we, our schedules and the stars lined up and uh my uh one of my favorite texans uh wayne dobbs is joining the podcast today as the honorary guest host from uh hardwired hardwired tactical shooting right is that yes the, and yes, uh with uh our, our brother daryl bulky and uh you currently are with aim point on their leo side correct that's correct i'm on the uh well, we call it Aimpoint Professional Sales now, but I handle uh, law enforcement and government sales for the Western United States. Yeah, uh, excellent agencies and dealers. So very cool. One of the uh, we were talking the other day about some uh, 
some ranges, some local law enforcement ranges. And I, I, I sent your information to one of, uh, one of my good friends. that's one of the range masters for an agency here. And he said, I can't wait to tell him that I've got a 20 year old comp M2 on my rifle. <laughs> so, well, him and a bunch of other folks there, we're still fixing those too. If, if one breaks and it's a professional use site, we take care of it. Yeah. He said, uh, I, I said 20 years, huh? And he said, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know? So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I, I need to clarify something because I heard oh, yeah. you the other day mention something about Daryl being one of your favorite Texans. Daryl's not a Texan. Daryl's from California. Oh, yeah. He came to Texas. We allowed him entry. I am a fifth generation native Texan, so therefore I am a Texan. Right. I I, I, I do have to I do have to confess though that there is a there is a failing in all of that, and that is that regrettably all of my father's side of the family were from Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> the pre the previous podcast I did we 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 hashed we hammered that one pretty good and that's a great yeah. that's a great joke or a great inside uh, inside deal but uh, Daryl there's a picture a pretty well there was a picture of him floating around in like full Texas Ranger garb and uh, mm-hmm. I asked him one time I said was that your native Tex or your your Texas citizenship ceremony were you preparing for that and he said no nah, just jury duty. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds so, about right the other night we talked about uh when we were kind of hashing this topic out uh you mentioned that uh you'd put some deep thought into the p's of operational shooting so kind of the first thing i wanted to do was hash out what do you consider operational shooting operational shooting is uh is using firearms in defensive or offensive roles uh, against human adversaries. In other words, not on the flat range. No, you practice operational shooting and you learn the fundamentals of it there, but uh, that's that's not operational shooting. Operational shooting is the actual use of it in, in some kind of combative encounter. And people, people will call it gunfighting. Uh, people will call it shooting. Uh, in actuality, uh, it, it tends to break into two categories. There's there's gunfights and there are shootings. Gunfights uh, implying that uh, both sides are exchanging shots at one time or another, and shootings uh, are typically um, one side is uh, is doing the shooting and the other isn't. And therefore, if that situation comes to you, it's probably better to have a shooting than a gunfight. Yeah, I I started putting some real thought to that. I interviewed my uncle on this podcast and he he's been in two uh two officer involved shootings and one of them was an outright gunfight and the other one was he shot a guy and he said mm-hmm. that there was for him that w- there was a very finite line between what a shooting was and what a gunfight was and he said he would take shooting any day of the week over gunfight yeah. so uh and the whole premise of that podcast was he had been in a shooting with a revolver and a gunfight with a semi-auto so mm-hmm. pretty unique uh, uh set of circumstances a, there yeah there's there's an old texas ranger saying from uh from back in the 19th century and it's uh, uh it, it it's it's a little politically incorrect but it's very very true and it, and it's don't let a killing turn into a gunfight yeah 
I, I heard it phrased as don't let a shooting turn into a gunfight. I think somebody kind of softened it up. They probably did. But, but let's, uh, let's dive off into this, this four P's of actually, I, I think there's really like five, but, uh, uh, right. and we can, we can talk that too, but, uh, but what would, what would you call the first P and that's the letter well, P there are, there are four of them. And this is not in any particular order of importance or significance or in any sequence of occurrence. Uh, that's most important to everybody to understand that. Uh, it's not a cycle. It's simply some characteristics. And the, the characteristics and the P's, looking for an alliteration scheme here, I, uh, I, I put it together as precision, pace, process, and pause. Well, let's talk uh, precision. Precision. Uh, precision is just what it sounds like. And that is, it is the accurate delivery of projectiles to the vital structures of an opponent and nowhere else. That's, that's the essential definition of precision. Uh, we, we score hits on, on the individual that needs to be shot and we don't score hits on anything else. Um, we, uh, that's that's kind of a, a radical position to take, and, and especially in a lot of circles where there's an expectation that, oh, if you get into one of these deals, you're going to miss a lot. Uh, that is not necessarily true, and there's enough occurrences of it not taking place by perfectly ordinary folks to the point to where it should be an expectation that you make hits and you don't leak rounds, as Paul House says. Uh, critical, critical uh function of of success well you and daryl have a uh, a way of quantifying what precision looks like uh mm-hmm. and and a a practice target or a rehearsal type target uh being the the, the b8 repair center and and perhaps right. you can talk to that why you utilize that so heavily well the b8 repair center is simply the Literally, what it sounds like is the repair center for the B-8 slow-fire bullseye target, NRA target, that has been around for decades uh, in one form or another. I think it may have been called some other things. And there are various B nomenclature targets, but the B-8 uh, is a, uh, a bullseye image that has the eight and nine rings black. And the actual black surface is five and a half inches in diameter. Uh, it's t- 23 0.75 square inches of area. So let's just say 24. I'm glad you did uh, the math cool. on that one. I way. have done the math and I, I have, I, I, I am a math. I'm not a, a math whiz, but I am a math fan. And unlike uh, all those kids that sat with me in high school and algebra and geometry class that said, we'll never use this. I use mine every week. In fact, every day, most of the time uh, in, in looking at problems. So we use that. So it, it's essentially a six inch bull. Uh, and the first ring outside of that, that image is a, the eight ring, which is conveniently an eight inch ring in diameter. Uh, so that matches up to the IDPA down zero zone. So for a very little bit of money, uh, you can bulk buy uh, B8 bullseye centers and use them uh, for various training and practice uh, situations. The cool thing about them is it's inexpensive. The other thing about it is uh, 
especially given some of our cultural shifts these days, is you can put that target up anywhere that it's semi-legitimate to shoot a, a firearm, and nobody looks at that as a tactical training target. Uh, also, we overlay it on the top, the top half, or actually right at the top edge of an IDPA or USPSA target, or the uh, the National Defense Match target that uh, that National Target sells uh, to where it orients the 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 uh, full count zone high and centered about armpit level on the uh, on the target body and therefore we have an anatomically correct location for it tell me the reasoning behind that eight inch circle because i daryl's well, talked about cir- it. the eight inch circle is kind of a widely accepted zone i think and, and this this might cause a head to explode here and there i think it's probably too big at eight inches uh I think six inches is better and, and six inches is not two inches smaller. It's half the area of an eight inch circle. Uh, also the six inches of that target image corresponds, uh, very, uh, reliably to the cardiac structure of an average human male. So what we've got there with that target is an ability to condition people to shoot, uh, to a level of precision and discipline that's going to, uh, as much as you can guarantee results with a pistol, guarantee results uh, if they stay in that. Also, if, you know, when you do get into operational shooting encounters, it's common for group size and precision to uh, deteriorate and decay. So if we can keep someone inside that six inch image uh, in, in significant training, then if they do get in a shooting, then what we're hoping for is that they then stay in the shooting inside an eight inch circle or maybe a little bit bigger, but they don't miss and they don't, uh, they don't put up a series of poor shots on something. Yeah. I've, I'm, I've got to credit, uh, one, Mr. Larry Vickers, uh, for turning me onto the, the, the B eight, uh, repair center yeah. years ago. Um, and simply for the same reasons that you just discussed. So, right. And Larry is where I first saw it in modern times, but Daryl, uh, and I were looking at some stuff and he found some images of border patrol pistol training from the 1930s that were using the old cult silhouette, you know, the one that has the arm, like it's drawing a gun. Uh, and I think it was Charles Askins that was conducting the training, which is another topic entirely. Um, And there were, there were bullseye centers on those targets. So the practice is nothing new. It's, it's, uh, it's been around for a long time. Yeah. I think that picture he, uh, that he unearthed was from somewhere either 1929 or, or earlier uh, with, with that qualification target. Now, in my area or in my era of law enforcement, the, the B 27 PPC silhouette was, that was our lifeblood. Uh, that was what we determined what made a good shooter on, uh, for, for many, many years. And it's only and that target is horrible. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, if you're shooting, if you look at the, the anatomy of that target, uh, the X ring is about high navel. Um, right. And I think it's a, like, granted, I've, I've, I achieved NRA distinguished police Mm -hmm. revolver 
uh, in 2007. It was a it was a tall order in in its era, right. and that was a great fundamental execution game. I and yes. I have I have always kind of looked at it as nothing more than a game, uh, but right. police agencies it seems like are just now catching on to the B eight train. <laughs> They're just now hopping I, on. I'm seeing it more and more. Other things that I'm seeing is not necessarily the B eight, but you're seeing a few targets show up and. I was in Las Vegas last week uh, in Phoenix uh, for Aimpoint Business, and I have admired for several years Vegas's qual target. Uh, it's it's a very simple humanoid silhouette, and it has a face on it. It has a lot eyes, uh, just black and white uh, line eyes and nose and mouth. But they have, shockingly a four and six inch subdued circle zone in the high thoracic area of their target. Interestingly, you mentioned Las Vegas. Uh, When I was pretty new to shooting PPC, I actually spent about three days on the line next to Las Vegas Metro's uh, range master. He was, Mm -hmm. he showed up to PPC at the nationals and he had actually gotten a qualification and his whole basis for being there was one to look at how applicable that target was to actual training because at the time they were it seemed like they were an officer involved shooting weekly and he Mm -hmm. was he was looking at kind of the historical aspect he's long since retired now but uh of where did this target come from and why should i use it or not and uh Mm -hmm. he said the same thing you said he goes. This is a horrible target for an for an anatomical target, mm-hmm. but there is some value in holding people to account for that regimented of a uh, of a scoring area, so to speak. He's like, it's just in the wrong place. <laughs> so, well, it, it is in the wrong place, and as you're aware, there are two ways that you score that target. Uh, there's the NRA PPC scoring scheme, which uses the actual rings, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, and that's, a, a, you know, shots that strike in those corresponding zones get exactly those many points. And then there's the qualification mode in which if it's in the 10, 9, and 8 zone, you get full count. In the 7, you drop a point. If it's elsewhere on the image, you get 3 and off as a miss. And it then becomes a, a target, and I have – I have used this uh, a lot uh, going around the country teaching uh, and I call it the one of the collection of the no cop left behind qual targets uh, because it is so huge. It's big as a door. Mm-hmm. And if, if junior can hit the target anywhere, the worst he's going to do is a 60% hit. Right. Um, and there's a good chance that he'll get, you know, a, uh, a 70% hit or a hundred percent hit. And it's designed to artificially uh, inflate competence ratings uh, in firearms training. I have seen, I have seen tons and tons of so-called, you know, perfect qualifications and you look at them and they're like, you're literally looking at 12 and 15 inch groups. Uh, and, and it's just, it's clear that, you know, this is, this is one of those deals of, uh, of dropping the basketball goal down to six feet for the kids to learn how to shoot baskets. Right. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So what's, uh, 
So we got precision. I like that the, the B eight had your your brother Daryl there calls it the uh, the grapefruit, the large grapefruit. It's about the size of a grapefruit. It represents the thoracic vital zone on a human target. Uh, you can you can kind of fudge it and say it also represents a. Uh, it's it's not the 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 uh, brain stem or anything like that. But if you can, uh, if you can stay with that accuracy level on a human head, you will almost certainly get a, get a stop whether or not it's, it, it remains that way. Very few people take a shot in the head and don't uh, dramatically react to it. So it's, it can be used either place. I wanted to throw out a couple of things on, yeah. uh, on precision. One of the things that's uh, most you know, we talk about precision being important about the worst thing you can do in a typical pistol encounter, uh, which is going to be taking place literally at arm's length ranges off the time. I mean, when you're standing around in conversation with people uh, on the range, in a break room, in the office, uh, at church, wherever, when you're standing around talking with people, uh, I always pointed out to a class, I said, you guys do realize that we're all standing around at pistol use ranges right now. <laughs> And there's invariably some people that are horrified by that prospect, but it's the truth. Uh, these things take place at close quarters. And so if you get into a mess where you're going to have to shoot in one of these situations, about the worst thing you can do is miss. Because once you do that, what usually happens after that is you miss a bunch more. So missing at close quarters, waste time, waste ammo, leaves an attack in progress without stopping. And it, and it, it raises your risk to uh, an almost certainty at a certain point that you're going to get hurt. Uh, so one thing that can be extrapolated out of a lot of collected statistics over the years is that first shot hitters in pistol fights are the winner. Uh, almost a hundred percent of the time, not always, but close enough to where you can, you can say that if you, if you make a good first shot hit in a fight, you're almost certainly going to win that fight. Well, one of the, uh, one of the things I thought when we were talking the other night about, you know, even doing this podcast that you said that was very profound to me, um, was these encounters occur in the absolute opposite of the flat range condition. They're never in a place that you want to be launching bullets, right? Nope. That was, uh, and I had never really put that much thought into the actual encounter of this is probably going to occur in the one place that you do not want to have gunfire occur. Exactly. Exactly. I, I always tell people, when I'm teaching a class, I said, what I want you to do about four or five times a day for the next six weeks and keep on doing it, please. But at least during that time is look around where you are and imagine uh, what the situation would be and the challenges and the problems if you got into a shooting there. And I said, and and you're never going to none of these places that we have these these encounters in none of them or a place where we'd take a portable target stand and a, and a qual target and, and give some dude a 15 round magazine and say, okay, let's do it. Let's shoot a drill here. Yeah, and, but that is exactly what takes place when these things fall apart. The, the other statement, which I won't say I've stolen, but I have used, uh, frequently in, in, uh, classes that, 
that I've taught away from the police department and even some in encounters with uh, newer newer officers and officers that are showing up for in-service uh, is when they say, oh, man, I missed the target. And I go, no, my, my buddy Wayne Dobbs mm-hmm. sums this up as they all hit something. There is no such thing yep. as a miss. And uh, you dropped that one on me in 2019, and I have used mm-hmm. it with alacrity since then. So I appreciate yep. that That's one. That's the truth. Whatever you fire hits something. Uh, you know, we we seem to be almost guarded by angels in in most of these deals. It seems like where people fling a magazine full uh, of of uh, of bullets in a in an urban area, and nobody gets hurt. And I still cannot believe what we get away with. Not always. There's there's some distinct examples, but but what what we get away with uh, with regard to to leak shots is astounding at times. Absolutely. So what, what was number two pause or pace? Number two is, well, there's no, there's no specific order, but pace okay. is what I put next pace and, and pace is just what it sounds like the speed at which you are delivering shots. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy and time and ammunition and range time that gets used to develop draw speeds on people that have absolutely zero relevance to street gunfighting or street shootings. Uh, if, if, if you need a one second draw, then there's the, if, if it's going to take a one second draw for you to win, uh, you're probably not going to, uh, this, that's, that is a hard thing to swallow. And I like to watch people that are really, really good. I'm not, I, I'm a, I'm a decent shooter and I'm a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a student of it, but what I notice is that the one second draw isn't going to gain you any more than a one and a half second draw is, uh, or a one and 1.6 second draw. What, what it tells me is if you need a speedy draw is you are probably so far behind the tactical curve that the draw is just hoping and dreaming that you'll catch up. And that's not the likelihood. I, I, uh, Daryl and I and and David had dinner with uh, wh- who is arguably the most knowledgeable and experienced guy on this on this uh, in this nation at least right now. Right, uh, long retired, but John Helms. Uh, we had dinner with him a few weeks ago, and we threw out we threw out something how it came out about as a draw a one or one and a half second draw, and he and he he kind of had a puzzled look, and he says, "I never needed one of those." <laughs> I, was, well, I was like, yeah, that's because you didn't get caught by surprise. I, uh, I had quite the, uh, I had this epiphany after Lee Weems and I, which I'm sure you're aware, we inflamed the internet the other, recently, which is, uh, I've gotten quite the forte for, I don't know why, but, uh, excellent. uh, but it, it inspired a lot of educated thought and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that when we look at, at, uh, you know, body camera footage and security camera footage, and we analyze these things, uh, one of the unknowns that, that I pitched was, Hey, you know, what if this guy having a one sub second draw, a consistent flat range sub second draw, what if that was the determinant factor in him introducing a firearm into this situation that ultimately led to his demise? And some people kind of pause and I said, you know, a lot of times when we look at, at footage of things, we, 
we assume there's, there's a lot of assumption and I don't assume that this person is trained, but if that person was trained, could we not assume that the reason they decided to go from verbiage or physical confrontation to a firearm was the fact that they possessed a level of confidence that ultimately led to their demise. And that kind of gave some people in the, in the, uh, internet realm a little pause and uh lee weems called upon the uh dave spaulding high noon drill i don't know if you've been exposed to this but simunitions or or uh airsoft and you take Mm -hmm. a guy in your class that has the fastest draw to first shot and you take a guy in your class that has the slowest and you pit them at seven yards and hit a timer and tell them to turn and shoot and they both get shot (laughs) funny how that works right and we also yeah. assume that that first round, sh- that first shot on said person is going to be a showstopper. And, yeah, uh, and it's not, I, I have worked, I can't tell you how many shootings I, I, I spent 11 years of my career at, at working the district with the level one trauma center. And I saw people with fatal gunshot wounds weekly that didn't know mm-hmm. they were dead when they showed up at the hospital. Yeah. Um, that's right. And managed to inflict immeasurable damage upon other people while they were fatally injured. Well, when you start talking about effectiveness, uh, and we're kind of off the track here, but when you start talking about gunshot wound effectiveness, especially with pistols, uh, if you think about it, most people out there have been conditioned, uh, to have a belief or an expectation, uh, of, what they think uh, pistol bullet effectiveness is by watching hundreds and hundreds of movies and thousands of TV shows in which, you know, if it's a bad guy and he gets hit with a bullet, he's, he falls over and, and that's the end of him. Uh, and he's instantly stopped. If it's the good guy that gets shot, you know, he's shot peripherally and he can still go on and, and he, he'll, he'll go to dinner with the family the next night after he gets his shoulder sling. Um, and, and you see that paradigm over and over, and, and it's, it's absolute baloney, uh, absolutely not true. And, and the, because the truth is, is you, you, see people, uh, you see people get shot, and they don't respond to it at all. A very few of them uh, fall over. Most of them, uh, if you have a success, and this is, this is the number one reaction I've noted of people shot with a pistol, uh, that is a success for the shooter. And that is the shooter turns around and runs off. Uh, that's, that's the, you know, I always tell people that's, that's a sign of success. If, if you shoot and hit this guy and he turns and runs, that's a good sign. That means you, that means you hit him. Well, it's, it is exactly humans are mammalian creatures. It's exactly like shooting a deer or an elk or whatever, uh, in the hunting fields and you, you shoot them through the chest, heart, lung area, and not too many of them fall over there. Most of them take off on a death run. And that's what the guy did that turned around and ran away from you. He's, he's probably severely wounded and is running off to, uh, to fall over, uh, back to pace. Pay, yeah. How what, how did, let's shoot? tie this into pace. Yeah. How fast do we shoot? Uh, you know, there is, Along with the sub-second draw or the fastest draw possible, we also have the the culture of, my God, I've got to have the fastest splits out there. Split time is important to success. 
And so you hear people talking uh, in person or bragging on the internet or something about how this pistol is better because they can shoot 15 splits with it as opposed to this, this service pistol over here that I can only shoot a 23 split with. And as soon as I see that, I, I realize I'm looking at somebody that doesn't have the information they need if they're seeking uh, knowledge, skill, capabilities for defensive shooting. We, we've got to deliver at a pace uh, that is dictated by several things. Uh, several things dictate our shot pace if we're going to be successful, if we're going to adhere to 100% shot accountability. One of them is the target size. Uh, and I don't care how big the target size is, the target size is six inches in diameter. That's what the target size is. If you're hitting elsewhere, you're not, uh, you're, you're certainly not achieving credible and reliable results. The other thing is, is the target size can change. You know, we, we typically practice on frontal targets, but I, I want you to go out and look at, and people listening, I want you to go and look at what kind of target size you think you have presented when someone is sideways to you. And that is a very common uh, target aspect is one that's sideways or oblique. It's not six inches anymore. It's a lot less. And it has, it has, it has narrowed up considerably. Uh, especially sideways targets are especially common in law enforcement shootings where you have two officers in contact with a guy. And if they're playing their tactics right, one guy's in contact and the other was in cover, cover officer being, say, 45 to 90 degrees off. And if if the uh, contact officer is expe- uh, attacked by the suspect uh, with deadly force, then the, the, theoretically the cover officer should have a shooting encounter to deal with, not a gunfight and then put a, a sideways shot in. Now, if you stick that shot right, that's where you see some very dramatic successes. I always call it the money shot because if you do it right, uh, you go through typically once the, the near side arm, uh, the near side lung, and then the cardiac structure, either the aorta or the heart, the far side lung. And, uh, with good ammo, it stops in the far side. And, uh, and our, our shooty is, is, pretty much a done deal. Uh, they may run off, but there's an awful lot of those guys that just fall on the spot. I have a acquaintance that I used to shoot with years ago that shot a guy with a 38 plus P just like that. And, uh, he said he couldn't believe, he said the guy just shuddered and fell over. He said, mofo, you, sh- you killed me and fell over dead. Uh, so yeah. that's, paces are important and how fast should you shoot? And I'm going to throw out, I'm, we're going to blow up the internet again, right? That's cool. I love blowing up the internet and they'll, they'll show up on the front yard with a pile of wood and want to burn me at the stake. Uh, you shouldn't shoot any faster than a three tenths of a second split. Yeah. The reason for that is you can't assess any faster than that. You can't assess shot effectiveness. Uh, you can't, uh, you can't change your shooting location. It's not going to be like shooting on the range, on the flat range where you shoot this individual and you shoot one shot and then they're going to be exactly in the same spot for your follow-up shots. They're going to move and they're probably going to move very dramatically when you start shooting them. I'll give you an example. Go out and shoot a deer or a hog off the feeder. Okay. And you tell me if, if they're still in exactly the same spot, three-tenths of a second later that they were when you delivered that shot. 
chances are they're several feet from there. So you need to be aware of the fact that if you're trying to blast out these fast splits, what you're going to do is you're going to fire a shot that at best is a French hit and most likely is going to be a miss into thin air going down range somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, I, it's I, a legal I, minefield to do that too, to be blasting a bunch of shots. Absolutely. Now I have, uh, I have a little aside on that, the, the pace thing. Um, in, in my classes, I like to take a, a four inch circle or a B eight mm-hmm. and challenge people at about five yards, how fast can you shoot and keep all those rounds in say a four inch circle? Mm-hmm. And generally it's about three tenths of a second. Yeah. And, uh, now we move up to the B eight size, uh, the black of a B eight. And I say, okay, we're at five yards. How fast can you keep them in there? And generally it's not much faster than about three tenths mm-hmm. of a second. So, at contact distance, do you think pace of shooting changes versus one yard to as we move back and we increase distance, do you think, does it change? Yep. It better. Okay. Because in reality, as you move back, the target size is also changing and any target movement in reaction to your shots is going to be at an even more dramatic angle than they would be closer. So okay. you've got, your, your target aspect, your target size, your target uh, exposure uh, can change dramatically off of just one shot. Uh, so you need to not shoot any faster than you can guarantee hits. And it's kind of circling back to precision. And I always tell people, I said, if you don't see that front sight or the dot, if you're shooting a dot sight, if you don't see that lift off the spot you were wanting to shoot, uh, you fired a miss. If you don't have visual verification either through the front sight uh you know being superimposed on the on the the zone or the dot being on the zone and you don't see it lift off of there you fired a miss yeah Uh, and and that that is that is a geometric inconvenient truth every day for the rest of time i have Um, i have only one time that i've seen that like the 0.15 to 0.25 split is absolutely applicable and that is entanglement distance where I'm shooting yeah. from a, from thumb pectoral index or some type of compressed low ready where we are not in conversational distance. We are in intimate distance that, uh, but that can apply. We, we can start hunting around and I've got two friends, actually three that I worked with that all missed dramatically at those distances. Now, right. one guy, uh, one, one friend of mine that I worked with, uh, went five for six with a revolver on a guy at, at, at inside arm's length distance. But his partner that was with him went over two at the same distance on the same <laughs> suspect. We got another friend that, uh, at about three feet missed, went over three on a guy that stepped out of a pantry with a deer rifle, uh, on a building, on a house search. So, you know, the truth is, is you can miss up close just as easily. It is, it is not a guaranteed thing and it is not. And, and now will you shoot faster at those close quarters? If you're entangled? Absolutely. That's, 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 
it's almost impossible to overcome that desire or that that response. But the fact is, is if you think that uh, you can't miss literally at uh, inside arm's length distances, I can give you the three examples right off the top of my head. I can take you to the places. Uh, And now the one that went over three in the pantry guy, he did. He clipped the guy. He hit he hit the stock of the rifle with the third shot and it bounced off the stock and, and, and went inside the guys uh, just above his elbow between his elbow and his bicep with a literally a bandaid bullet wound with a 1911. The rest of them shot up post toasties and smuckers preserves and peanut butter and, and, and literally blew stuff all over this pantry. Uh, it was a mess, but, and the other officer that was there on that, Deal said he fired so fast that he thought that he was shooting, that there was a submachine gun in play. Uh, so, you know, just pace can get you and it's got to be delivered at a pace that you have control. Another thing about pace is that um, when you get into these messes is this, I like to use sports team sports analogies um, like basketball or football, baseball, because anytime you're in play, in, in, in a team sport, you know, let's just say it's football. You block, you tackle, you uh, throw, you run, and you catch. That's essentially what football is. And, you know, once once a play kicks off, you sit there and you watch, you watch the two teams crashing into each other, and there is or there are one or two little sub-half-second exposures for somebody to be successful on either side. It's not like you saying, okay, this play is going to last for three seconds. And so of all of that, for that whole three seconds, you've got you, your opportunity is here. It's not, there's, there's opportunities to shoot a basketball. There's opportunities to make a blocker or, or, or plug a hole or, or make or hit a hole with a, as a running back, et cetera. So the pace is determined by those two. Uh, if you don't have the opening, you can't be shooting or you shouldn't be. Because at that point you're shooting things that you shouldn't be shooting. Yeah. I, uh, you were talking about the oblique shot. I have a dear friend. I'd love to get him on the podcast, but it'll probably be after he retires that, uh, got engaged with a a fellow that had a rifle and he was fresh out of instructor school Mm -hmm. and they are exchanging shots in the middle of the street. And as the suspect realizes this guy's shooting it, shooting back now. Uh, suspect had like a bolt action twenty two or twenty two mag, uh, okay. and is is maneuvering on the officer. Uh, mm-hmm. He makes a fifty seven yard shot, oblique shot, uh, mm-hmm. through the arm into the chest cavity, and uh, the guy runs off and does the uh, the wounded deer. He goes and finds mm-hmm. a place to Crawls lay down. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the interesting part about that is fast forward a few years, I'm, I'm watching a, a live ballistic lab by one of our, one of our fellow instructors. And, uh, I hand him some of, uh, my department issued ammo. And I said, well, shoot it through a four inch gun and this, and it blasts through about 23 inches of ballistic gel and four layer denim. And mm-hmm. everybody in the crowd is just shocked. They're just wide eyed. And I went, okay, cool. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, if you take an oblique shot through flesh, bone, flesh, flesh, bone, chest cavity, Mm -hmm. 
that's okay. Now, yeah, sure is. maybe the average concealed carrier doesn't want his ammo to perform that way. But as a cop, I take a great comfort in knowing that out of a four inch service gun, my ammo performs like that. And, oh, yeah. I, and uh, it kind of gave everybody some pause. And I said, because I have literally seen that shot in person and seen the results of it. So, you know, the whole over penetration and ballistic gel and all that, it's great information, but that really, uh, kind of secured my uh, confidence in the ammunition I was carrying at that time. Well, you know, over penetration is only a problem if uh, is only a problem when you're hitting, if right. you're not hitting, then, uh, then there's another issue, you know, a uh, couple other things on pace and precision. Uh, LAPD SWAT is arguably the best SWAT team in the country. Uh, certainly the most experienced and they Absolutely. came a long ways talking to Helms, uh, the other night was, was interesting because they came a long ways. They were not, they were nothing like they are now when they started, they were, they were really pretty sad, but in their shooting training, they work on half second splits on shots for a couple of reasons. Half second splits guarantee that you can shoot at a hundred percent precision and that you can assess cleanly between shots through your sights. Now, if we train to half second standards all the time, we know that if we get into a shooting, we're going to shoot faster than a half second splits. Okay. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to get yourself trained to shoot at a speed to where you can't assess and you can't stop. Um, it's, it's, that's where, that's where the three tenths come from. I find it. It's a very sweet spot for most five to seven yard and closer shooting. A very sweet spot I found is about 3,500s. Yeah, uh, Jared Reston. I don't know if you know him or not. Uh-huh. He's he's got some interesting stuff, and and I unabashedly steal this idea from him. Uh, he teaches to shoot for he teaches people to shoot in his classes at this speed. He said, "Shoot at this speed here: one, two, three, four, five. And if you go out and do that, shoot at one, two, three, four, five, just like that. You're shooting at about a point four split. Yeah." Uh, and, and, and you can stay in control, you can shoot at the pace, and you got to realize that that target's not going to be where it was when you fired the shot immediately preceding. That's uh, one of the things I adopted from uh, Ernest Langdon, who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not only is he a, a friend of mine, he's uh, he's been a mentor in the shooting world mm-hmm. uh, from gunsmithing to I- any number of... Uh, uh, of topics i i've always looked up to him as as uh kind of an authority on uh all, all things handgun related and mm-hmm. when we pressure test what he calls limit of human function uh, mm-hmm. you know he's broken down hey every, almost every service rated semi-auto pistol cycles at about a tenth of a second right and your reaction time slash decision-making time tends to be about a quarter of a second. So you add right. those two together, you've got 0.35. And That's that right. is about where we need to live in the shooting world. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I went to his training expecting to learn how to go from 0.35 to 0.15. And what I found was, no, if you want to fire accurately under stressful conditions on a unknown target or a known target 
0.35 shot to shot is about what you can maintain and perform right. to a level of accuracy that that uh, you can have an, a predictable outcome, uh, which exactly. was really pretty uh, refreshing because some of the other training I had been to had been like, okay, let's shave your 0.18 to 0.15. And I thought, I can't, I can't tell a difference. And, uh, well, you're just flat, not gaining any benefit. Right. Uh, now, if, if, if what your benefits you're seeking is, is to move up, uh, in USPSA ratings or in a match, then, then I guess that, uh, that makes a, a difference. But as far as actual, uh, as far as actual combative shooting, it doesn't gain you anything and it can get you in a trick bag in that you shoot faster than you can assess and you shoot faster than you can assure that there's a target there for you to shoot. And, and you end up dropping shots or shooting bad shots, uh, or, or putting rounds down range that endanger other people. So it's, it is a real problem in, in, a, in essence, working the half sec or the sub second draw and the 15 split is about as, as relevant as formula one driving is, to uh, police pursuit and response driving that's it's yeah they're both they both involve motor vehicles they both involve a, a car of some sort being driven in a performance setting but entirely different environments entirely different goals at the end so so let's recap we've had have we covered two or three of the p's two of them we've so covered pace and and precision so what do you got next Process, process, which is actually, I had to have something for a, that started with a P, so I used process. Okay, you know, we're working this alliteration thing. That was I, I learned that in English, alliteration. <laughs> That's a repeating consonant start. You know? Well, I had um, to uh, retake English several times in summer and night school, so I may have had my diploma okay. bronzed. So, I see, I see, I understand. <laughs> I, 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 I enjoy English, and my wife is, uh, she writes, and she has. My wife can can quote and use all of the grammar and punctuation rules from memory. She had a boot camp type seventh grade grammar teacher, English teacher that they still talk about on a Facebook group. Uh, and 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 Debbie's just flat kills it on that. But I had to have an alliterated term. So I use process. But what we're talking about is assessment. Uh Assessment, and we we talked about it a bit when we we're talking about shot pacing of, of assessing and what assessing is, is, is monitoring the progress of the fight, monitoring the results. Uh, it's not shoot, look, there's a lot of people that will, when you, when you put somebody on the range and have them first start shooting, what you'll invariably see is they'll come up and they'll shoot, they'll fire a shot. And in some kind of improper fashion, they'll drop the gun off the target and, and raise their head up to see what the result was. I call that shoot, look work. We shoot, then we look, then we shoot, then we look. Uh, what we're doing in a fight is if you're doing that is you're essentially spotting shots and spotting maneuver time uh, to the to the suspect instead of instead of getting the situation processed. So we process and uh, assess through the sights. Uh, we talk about sight focus, but you can you can be focused on sights or have good visibility on sights and still have a good awareness. Of, of what's going on at the at the target there with the suspect red dot sites are really changing that to where we now can have people at the line level 
regular earth people, as Pat Rogers used to say, getting to do what they want to do, which is hard focus on the threat and simply be aware of the dot on the threat and, and make it hits dot dot target or dot shooting and dot pistol sights uh, are truly the great leap forward uh, in technology these days. Uh, let me see. We'll talk about what else we got here. Uh, the process uh, or the assessment is necessary because of changing aspects of the problem. We've talked about targets moving when you shoot them. Um, we, want to be able to process what's going on in that are they moving because they're hit are they moving because they're trying to escape are they moving because they're trying to get another a better position on us uh and the fact is is be looking for the success sign uh in a fight that when you shoot this threat turns around and runs away uh, that that's extremely important. And, and that's a good time to be shooting at a three tenths of a second split or slower so that you don't shoot them in the back as they run away, which is always bad form in, in today's times. So that's the process that's assessing and assessing is most important and brings you to the last P is because it allows you to pause or stop. Uh, why do you want to pause or stop? Well, bad guy you got a real lottery shot and they fell over on the spot. Uh, you didn't get the lottery shot and they ran away. Uh, and you need to either change where you're shooting, uh, or stop shooting entirely or engage another adversary, which is, uh, a really bad luck day if you've got more than one bad guy to deal with. So that's, that's processing and pausing is, is setting up, uh, you know, setting up to see what do I need to do next? All of this, all of this whole thing, uh, is, is problem solving processes. Is it all, is all it is, is problem solving with a firearm in hand. Uh, and, and that is, that is the whole thing at a, at a, in a nutshell is a problem solving process of a, of a deadly threat using a firearm at the appropriate times and, and instances. I like um, Brother Daryl talks about every time you press the trigger, you should be constitutionally justified every oh, yeah. single time. And if you're running point one five splits, it's it's a crapshoot as to whether you're making that threshold. You're you're outrunning your headlights essentially is the way yes, he kind of summed it up. And at about 0.35 to 0.5, we can process, we can pause, we can reassess, re-engage, move the gun, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I like the way he summed it up. And it's interesting to me now because talking to you and then talking to Daryl, Daryl, being from California, he sums it up in very lay terms. Hey, I, I need you to be able to hit a grapefruit at X distance all the time. Mm -hmm. And I need you to be able to do that at 0.35 to 0.5, because mm -hmm. at those speeds, we, we can meet that constitutional threat threshold and we can assess whether we need to continue to do that. So exactly, exactly. There's, you know, with the uh, advent of the auto pistol, especially the high capacity auto pistol and police work, which 
started coming on mid to late eighties. A bunch of us were carrying auto pistols before then. I started carrying a 1911 in 1979. Um, Seriously. uh, Well, I was born in 1979. So I don't even want to hear about that. (laughs) But uh, with the advent of the auto pistols, you started seeing a lot of rounds fired uh, and you still do with a lot of misses. And while there's people that'll take the stance, well, if you're justified in shooting, you're justified in shooting 15 as you are five, or if you shoot 12 or 15 and somebody else says could have got it done in three, it's still okay. No, it's not. Uh, I think those days have passed. I don't know if they have or not. They're still going on. Uh, We're still seeing high volume shootings. We're still seeing people dumping a lot of rounds uh, that don't, uh, that don't impact the target. And at a certain point, uh, given the shift in this country, uh, in some, some places, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the, the flame that really gets things going against us. Well, I, I, not that those days have passed. I think the palatability of those types of encounters have, uh, waned to the degree of not necessarily unjustifiable, but they require a much higher threshold to justify than they did say pre body camera, pre, uh, you know, political climate. Mm -hmm. And and I mean that in, it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just that now when it happens, the scrutiny is, there is a much higher threshold for it. Yeah. Well, another reason Besides the fact it looks bad, besides the fact that it endangers people, uh, the other reason to really be violently against that and and to get out there and work hard against it is because what was happening in the time it took them to discharge all those rounds that caused them to keep shooting. And what was happening is they were missing and they were missing a lot, which meant that you are literally standing there uh, allowing someone a chance to kill you. Now, if someone takes 15 rounds to to get put on the ground, uh, then that's fine. But you need to have 15. If you're going to fire 15, there need to be 15 center hits on the guy. And if you're not doing that, then you need to, you need to know why is everybody going to fire hundred percent? No, but there have been enough of them do it that, and enough regular people do it that uh, it's, it's, it's a thing. And there's, I come up with an agency that uh, has done it. I can come up with with their most famous shooting uh, in the history of the world occurred May of 15 when two would-be ISIS terrorists came to Garland, Texas to shoot up the Draw the Muhammad contest. Now, Garland was one of the agencies that we shared an academy with, and it's it's an interesting town. Um, about 235,000 people. And they have over the years had a lot of shootings. And in that shooting where those two guys got out and opened fire, you had a 60 year old 38 year officer, uh, that was on the scene that took these guys on and went on the move from the first one from about 14 yards out, shot that guy down on the passenger side, did a tactical slide with a speed load, and then shot the driver 
he fired 15 rounds of 45 out of a Glock 21, and he he uh, he put 11 hits on these guys. So that's that's a motor jock, a 60 year old motor jock that did that with a good training program. Well, it, yeah, absolutely. And you and I discussed that one at TACCON 2019 is, uh, there was all kind of rumor and speculation surrounding that. And, uh, you kind of enlightened me that their training protocol all was rooted out of a lot of what we are seeing today as unpalatable or unacceptable shootings. And mm-hmm. that they had a, they had an administration that decided to get on the lead edge of that years ago and uh, get their adjunct and, and full-time firearms instructors to a level that uh, I, I, I would not hesitate to say is pretty unmatched uh, nationwide right now. So they, they put that, they changed, changed their programs in about 1991 or 92 and put everybody in the department through the retraining and had a very robust sustainment uh, program. And they, uh, over a string of about 25 officer-involved shootings over the next, I think it was about two and a half years, three years, had a lot of shootings. This is in the 90s. They uh, shot at about 93% accuracy rates. And uh, of the 20, it was 24 shootings, they killed 22 suspects. Wow. Uh, and this was patrol. Yeah. Th- that was patrol. Wow. And that was Garland PD, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had some inside jokes that I won't disclose on the podcast about surrounding <laughs> that incident, but, uh, but either way, um, yeah, I think that's, especially with the, the advent of body camera and security footage and, uh, you know, everybody's got a camera and video on their cell phone. Uh, a lot of what the public has been, I hesitate to say conditioned to, has kind of changed in the last few years. And it, not good or bad on the, the law enforcement side. It's just they're getting exposed to this at a rate that's never been like that in history. So when we see high round count shootings, they are not palatable to the average citizen. Um, no, they're not. Especially when we can watch it in sometimes in real time. Whereas uh, it go ahead. It, it is really scary what you see on some of it. Some of it's you know, you, you look at it and you're like, that was very well done. Most of them you don't. Most of them you're like, okay, uh that individual has never put a gun in front of their face as far as getting a gun to eye level. They are just wailing away with it. Uh, it's interesting to see, and Daryl has pointed this out. It's interesting to see how many malfunctions, uh, you see in actual shootings these days. Yes. Uh, and it's, you know, there's probably a variety of causes, but it's, it's one of those things of, uh, there's a, a significant number of, of stoppages that you see, uh, of officers, pistols in fights. Uh, most yeah. of them are easily cleared, and, but, but it's, it's, it's odd to see that, uh, yeah, I think it's it's opened the eyes of not only the training community but also the general public. But uh, well, the four P's of shooting. Let's sum them up really quick. So we had okay. first off, precision. we had precision. Next was pace. Pace. Yep, the shot pace, the pace at which you deliver. 
and then there was no the, fast splits, right? <laughs> and then process, which process. is assessment, mm-hmm. assessment of of the effectiveness and the the tactical situation, and then pause, the ability to stop or shift gears, change to a different target, change to a different threat. Excellent. So, with all that said, I give every guest a final thought. So what would be your final thought after the four P's, which I know you put, you, you put quite a bit of effort into, and you summed up some things that, uh, I don't know that I could have put them all into P's, but you did. And I, I appreciate that <laughs> greatly. Must be a Texas thing. I don't know. No. I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe an Oklahoma thing. We don't know. Uh, final thought. Yeah. Um, you, you don't. You don't have to be USPSA grandmaster material. You have to be very consistent. You have to be very diligent. You have to be committed. You have to be willing. Uh, most of these where we see things fall apart is, is people's uh, prior to the incident, mental conditioning and preparation and attitude and, and commitment to doing what needs to be done is, is not there. And so then they're called upon uh they're called upon to, to make something happen when they don't have any gas in that tank. So, I'll, you know, John Helms said something the other night and, and I, I pinged on it. I've always, I've always harped on mindset and preparation and awareness. And we were talking about what kind of training is good. And he said, he said, if you have the right mindset about doing your job, he said, you'll go and find the right training. He said, your mindset should drive your training. He said your mindset about properly and honestly assessing yourself and your skills and your abilities and your, your deficits should drive you to go and find out and learn what you need to learn and, and, and be what you need to be. All right. Thanks again, Wayne Dobbs. Wayne, you're my Texas hero, bro. All right. A reminder, if you haven't, Check out today's sponsor, Excess Sites at excesssites.com. CCW safe. Save 10% off your membership. Go to checkout. Hit off duty 10. EDC Belt Co. Get yourself a foundation belt. Sign up for the Guardian Conference. It's coming to OKC September 17th, 18th, and 19th. I'll be presenting there along with several other of our guest hosts here. One Mr. Hanny McMood included. And uh, sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Uh, links are all in the show notes, as always. And uh, next week, they are giving away some palm pepper spray. So check it out. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.